give us some men who know the truth. And who will declare the truth. And who will stand with Athanasius and Polycarp and Calvin and Luther and Whitfield and Edwards. And who will declare from the housetops that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. I'm serious. It's going to be a day we are diving into everybody's favorite topic, biblical exegesis, or lack thereof, <laughs> depending on how you look at it. So we're going we're gonna to have some fun today. And I say we again because it is that time. I am over here. Lou is over there. Hey there. And we're here to tell you that you don't get to determine the Bible's meaning. That's, that's not how this game is played. Right. It actually is supposed to mean something. It does. So, we are going to have some fun today because I was—I literally just said, you know, why is it always like when it comes to bad biblical exegesis or in this case, just straight up eisegesis, why is it always the Germans? I don't know. It's always the Germans. Seems like it is. And this time it's a dude from Nebraska named Brueggemann. That's a German name. Yes. It's always sure. the Germans. Always Even them. the Germans from Nebraska are at fault. 
Nebraska, handle your business. <laughs> right. You better better handle that business. I mean, come on. No heretical Germans in Nebraska allowed. There's, there should be rules, right? Should be. How do you end up in Nebraska with a German name anyway? Oh, man. He must be a farmer or something. That's These are... These, these, I always wonder about these things. Like, like I get... Like, if you're from Minnesota, I mm-hmm. get how the Swedes ended up in Minnesota and Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. You know, it's... Where is it... Where in Germany is Nebraska? You know, I mean, where is the Nebraskan climate? No kidding. I wonder how he, he got deposited there, huh? I mean, these are the... I, always, I just always wonder how families move around and get landed where they're landed. It's just... It doesn't mean anything. It's just... The thought, part of the thoughts that keep me out of the really good schools, the things I will forever wonder about, and why I won't get a list of questions to ask when I get to heaven. Because God's going to be like, no. Just, just be quiet just, and get just, in the corner. No. no. You, you, you can sit over there for about two, 3,000 years, and then we'll think about talking. Uh-huh. I'm sorry. I have questions. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> All right. So before we get into the eyes of Jesus, let's have some fun and lay our foundation. Let's do that. And our foundation is coming from Second Peter chapter 3. Okay. All right. Where are you starting? <sighs> We are starting in chapter four, in chapter in verse fourteen. We're chapter, we're starting in chapter fourteen of chapter three of Second Peter. Oh man, <laughs> got it. You know, speaking of destroying scripture, right? Therefore, beloved, since you look to these things, okay. There's a therefore, so we got to go back a little bit. He's talking about eternity, the day of the Lord, new heavens, new earth. He's talking about the right. the reign of Christ, the doing away of sin, all the stuff you're hoping for in this life. All right. Okay? Yeah. There's the therefore. You're now up to speed. Wasn't that easy? That was nice. <laughs> See? Yeah. Really quick. Since you're looking for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless, and blameless. Okay. So that's, that's, that's your goal of sanctification. Mm-hmm. How do you get there? By following the teachings of Christ, built upon the teachings of the prophets and the law. In other words, keeping the commandments that God has given you because he has implanted his spirit upon you, which is empowering you to the work of the kingdom because he has redeemed you. Excellent. Simple, basic. We're, we're going to be short and sweet today. You ready? All right. So we're we're going to keep the German theme. We're going to be like the Germans, and we're going to be straight to the point. Straight to the point. All right. <laughs> Perfect, Nugent. <laughs> oh, man. Here we go. Yeah, I saw some woman posted on social media. She was laughing. She's like, for, for um, she's homeschooling like four kids, and two of them are at the age where there's time for them to start doing foreign language study. And they didn't want to do anything. And so she finally just laid, laid out a bunch of options, like, pick something. You're doing something. And so... They picked German oh, wow. because they just thought it would be fun. And she goes, the problem is, like, these are two kids that they're close enough in age that they're always butting heads with each other. She goes, so, but the problem is they've learned just enough German now that they'll, like, yell at each other in it. But even when they're being nice to each other, it sounds like they're fighting. Right. That language is, <laughs> it's, yeah. So they'll be, they'll be, they'll argue in English and they'll be nice to each other in German. <laughs> so it always sounds like they're yelling at each other. Yeah. <laughs> I like, that sounds like that. something my kids would do. Yeah. I actually worked with a guy that spoke German, and you know, I he was talking to somebody. I said, "Why is?" I asked him. I said, "Why is it that every time I hear somebody speaking in in your language, that you guys sound angry?" He's like, oh, "I don't know. It's just the way we use our language." But that was a very casual conversation. <laughs> you know? I think it's the gutturals. The guttural yeah. languages just make you sound yeah. annoyed with the world. So anyway. Yeah. Anyway. So. Be found in peace, spotless and blameless, and regard the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given him, wrote to you. So, you're being patient because you're waiting on the completion of the work of God. You are trusting in that, just as Paul is, and you're following in the commands and the teachings laid down by Paul. Hmm. This is part of what Paul's work was, is writing, sending out these letters, building up these churches right 
this is part of this. Well, Peter's encouraging you, hey, keep following the apostolic teaching. Where do you find the apostolic teaching? At this point, you're already seeing that transition. The apostles are passing away. So where is the font of wisdom of apostolic teaching going to be found? It's going to be found in the writings that codify apostolic teaching. It's going to be found in the Gospel of Matthew. It's going to be found in the work that Luke is writing. It's going to be found in the letters that they have sent out. It's going to be found in all of these things. As the computer is making noise, I don't know why. <laughs> yeah. Duh. I didn't get to read it. But, yeah. Uh, as also in all his letters, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand, this is the best part, you ready? Which the untaught and unstable distort as they do also the rest of the scriptures to their own destruction. Mm. Remember that when we get moving a little bit, because this is part of the problem. So in other words, follow Paul like you would the rest of the scriptures, because what is Paul writing? Paul was writing scripture. Yeah, he, what is Peter point? writing? He's writing scripture. He's commenting on scripture. Uh -huh. He's 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 helping uh, people who have never heard of the things that he's teaching understand the basics, the milk. And be diligent yeah. because if you're not, the untaught and the unstable are going to distort those things. You've never seen that in the world ever. You've never seen. I don't think the, that's ever stopped happening. <laughs> you've never seen the untaught or the unstable twisting and contorting the uh, the epistles of the New Testament or the Gospels of the New Testament or the prophets of the Old Testament. It sounds or... like a Beatles song, "Twist and Shout." <laughs> Is that was it the Beatles? Twist it. Was it? Was it the Beatles? Who was it? I don't know. That's before my time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. You 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 walked into sure that one. Yeah. You walked you before walked right into yeah. that one. Yes. Yeah. No, no. Yes, I am old. That probably is. See, I'm immediately. I can meet all. I'm immediately thinking is Chevy Checker and let's do the twist. No, yeah, twist so, and shout. Yeah, twist and shout. See, I I know that song from a bad '80s movie about um, ski patrol people. Yeah, I might be wrong. <laughs> You're gonna look that up now. I'm definitely looking that up. I know somebody redid it in the '80s, and that's the version I know. How bad is that? Okay. Yeah, because that that movie's terrible. Don't watch. Don't watch Ski Patrol Kids. <laughs> Well, anyway, the point is is that they twist the scriptures and they There's shout it from the mountaintops, Oh, no, no. Right? There's a point to what we do? <laughs> so much. You know what? We just literally just said we're going to be streamlined. We're going to be right to the point. We're going to do everything. Why is this computer making noise today? Windows Assistant wants to run. Adobe wants to do updates. Stop it. No, it's it's a Beatles song. Nobody cares about the creative cloud either. This computer is going to drive me insane. Right. I even let this thing fire up and sit around so it would get all this out of its system. No, no, no. It didn't want to do it then. It wants to do it now. Yeah. Anyway, back to the point. <laughs> so, no. The unstaught. The un, the unstaught. Mm. See, that's a combination of the untaught and the unstable. They, they are the unstaught. That's perfect. <laughs> the unstaughtable. <laughs> yeah. So, they're going to do this when? Well, until Jesus comes back, because right. this is what they do. I mean, what's what's the what's the original twisting? Did God really, really say? say? Right. What's changed? Nothing. I mean, well, nothing has changed. So, yeah. you therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, so knowing this is the world that you are entering into. I just lost my place because I looked up. Be on your guard so that you are not carried away by the error of unprincipled men and fall from your own steadfastness. So in other words, you're walking in sanctification, you're studying the scriptures, you're being diligent, you know that they are unstoppable, therefore you are not following them. I'm, 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 I'm clinging yeah, to that that's one. Yeah, that's a word now. Yeah, that is, that, that is it. That I, so it is written, so it shall be done. <laughs> that is now a thing. <laughs> because great. that is the world you occupy, you have to be careful. This is one of the reasons why you have all the biblical calls to patience and wisdom and slowness in community because they are curbs 
I won't use my bad bowling bumper analogy, but it fits. They, these things all operate as curbs in the world because it allows you to not just drift along aimlessly in the world, falling prey to the winds and waves of doctrine as they try to drag you along, but it allows you to have an anchor and to have a community of anchors that can, that can guide you and undergird you so that if you don't see it, someone else will. Right. Well, and that's that's also a good reason for people to find a good church that teaches the principles of understanding your Bible and not not being soundbite theology and picking a scripture and then basing an entire doctrine around what you think that one little scripture says instead of reading it in its context. Because that's what the unstoddable do. Unstoddable. <laughs> yes. Should be the title of this episode. Unstoddable. Yes. So yes. there you go. People are going to... Tune what? into this and be like, there you unstoddable. Go. Okay, what's the dictionary meaning? Instead of being like them and drifting along, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. How are you going to grow in that grace and knowledge? You are going to anchor yourself in his word. That's, again, one of the reasons why... Peter is giving you this encouragement to follow after what Paul is writing, to not trust the lunacy of the world, but to be patient, to be slow, to be careful. And it's, it seems like um, now more than ever, it seems like they're coming out of the woodworks. They are trying to redefine every single aspect of, of our orthodox. Case in point, this, um, this lovely, to be perfectly honest with you, um, this is written by Walter Brueggemann. I thought he was dead. I thought so, too. I thought he'd been dead for a while. Mm-hmm. Turns out he's, like, near 90, mm-hmm. and he's, you know, retired. I mean, you're talking about a dude who got a Ph.D. F- uh, seven years before I was born. Yeah. He's been at this for a while. Yep. So, but, yeah, no, seriously, I honestly thought he was dead. If you don't know, <clears throat> and I don't fault you for not knowing, because Walter Brueggemann hasn't really been a thing in modern evangelicalism for 30 years. Yeah, thirty years. Um, he's the he is like old school king of the mountaintop of your liberal uh, think uh, think German exegetical nineteenth century theology in the twentieth century. I mean, he's their dude. He was the one. Uh, think what Bart Ehrman has done for textual criticism to bring it into the mainstream and right. to try to bring the heretical views of textual criticism into the mainstream okay. is what Walter Brueggemann did for exegesis and contextual understanding of scripture. Yeah, I hadn't really looked into too much of what he who he was, you know, in his in his prime. You uh, you're you're talking about someone standing in line with things like the Jesus seminar um oh uh, the, Bultmann mm-hmm. and standing in that line of tradition. He's right there with those guys. So that's yeah. that's the place you're coming from. So this is not yeah. out of the norm for him. This is this is his wheelhouse. Okay. This is his home run derby. All right. So you ready? Yep. It is easy enough to see at first glance why LGBTQ people and those who stand in solidarity with them look askance at the Bible. After all, by the way, good word, askance. Askance, yeah. After all, the two most cited biblical texts on the subject are the following from the old purity codes of ancient Israel. Notice the loaded language already. Mm-hmm. It's right. those old, old purity codes of yeah. ancient Israel. You know, that, that stuff we don't read anymore. Mm-hmm. And so what does he quote? He quotes Leviticus 18, Leviticus 20. You should not lie with a male as with a woman. Is it an abomination? If a man lies with a male as with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. They should be put to death. Their blood is upon them. Right. That's pretty simple and straightforward if you're 
here is real, right? Right. Now, there they are. There is no way around them. There is no ambiguity in them. They are, moreover, seconded by another verse that occurs in the list of exclusions from the holy people of God. Deuteronomy 23. No one whose testicles are crushed or whose penis is cut off shall be admitted to the assembly of the Lord. So, and this is, by the way, this was a thing in Israel. If you had been made a eunuch, you were excluded from the temple. Well, temple services. Well, right. temple services, but yeah, but you were... So, Court of the Gentiles, I think, would still be open, but you could not move beyond that. So, you could not become Israel. Okay. You could not join the nation and be in service of the temple. Right. So, you couldn't serve in the temple. Well, you, you had to be a whole person. Just like, uh, I mean, if you were lame, um, you couldn't, if you were from a priestly line, you couldn't serve yeah. in the temple. You, you had to be whole, just like the offerings that they were being made. Same idea. Yeah. So this text apparently concerns those who had willingly become eunuchs in order to serve in foreign courts. For those who want it simple and clear and clean, these texts will serve well. They seem, moreover, to be echoed in this famous passage from the Apostle Paul. And then he quotes the famous passage from Romans 1. They exchange the glory of, their, of the immortal God for images resembling mortal human beings of birds, of four-footed animals, reptiles. Therefore... So because they have engaged in this idolatry, this is what God has done. God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the degrading of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, so because now God has given them over to their idolatry and their sin, God gave them up to the degrading passions. Their women exchanged natural intercourse for unnatural. In the same way, also the men, giving up the natural intercourse with women, were consumed with passion for one another. Men committed shameless acts with men and received in their own persons the due penalty for their error. That's, again, fairly straightforward. Yes. Give, give, give Wally here some credit. I mean, it's okay if I call him Wally. I don't think he'll be offended. If he is, well. I'm not worried about yeah. it. So... Um, give him some credit. He's accurately quoting these verses. I don't know what translation he's using. There's a little bit of difference in, in, from what I'm accustomed to, so it doesn't seem like it's the NIV or the or an NASB. But I'm not sure right off the top of my head, mm -hmm. and I don't know if I didn't notice if the article mentioned it. So yeah, I didn't. I didn't notice either. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter. There's nothing really wrong with these translations. <clears throat> Paul's intention here is not fully clear. Wow. There's a sentence. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I gave pause to that. <laughs> You're like, wait, whoa, whoa. The, like, the, the plain dude, reading of that was pretty clear to me. That's like when they're teaching you those um, those evasive driving techniques for like limo drivers and stuff for dignitaries, and mm -hmm. you like you just rip the parking brake while going eighty around a curve, you know? <laughs> wow, that, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm I mean, picturing that. Or have you ever seen the movie Hot Shots? Yes. When he hits the air brakes, of course. <laughs> so the so the planes, so the Iraqis can go screaming by him. <laughs> yeah, right. Watch Hot Shots. That yeah. movie is hysterical. It's been a while. I have seen that yeah. movie though. Charlie Sheen, yep. uh, Topper Harley. There's a pull for you. Topper Harley was the character he played. Topper Harley. It's, yep, a, yep, it's yep. a spoof of Top Gun. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Why do I know these things? Funny movie. Why do I know these things? It's a satire. <laughs> I like good comedy. So, well, I, I, ugh, Paul's intention here is not fully clear. Yes, it is. But he wants to name the most extreme affront of the Gentiles before the Creator God. And Paul takes disordered sexual relations as the ultimate affront. Paul takes that or God takes that? Right. See, we're already starting to fuzzy the lines here. <clears throat> Realize, what is Paul writing? Paul is writing scripture under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, which the unstoppable are going to corrupt. I'm, I'm not letting that go. I'm not letting that go. This indictment is not as clear as those in the tradition of Leviticus. It's not. Oh, man. 
that seems pretty clear to me. It's because of your idolatry and because of God handing you over to, to your sin, he has handed you over to the disordered function of your bodies, which are an abomination before him. That's pretty clear. Yeah. Especially coming from a book like Romans, which is going to spend the next 15 chapters grounding every reality that Paul is teaching in the understandings of the Old Testament. I mean, no, I mean, think about this. Yeah, right. So, I mean, Romans, oh, my brain doesn't want to work. So, Romans 2, all creation falls because everyone falls in Adam. That's Old Testament. Right. Um, Romans 3. That includes the nation of Israel and the people that have occupied it and every human being that has ever lived. And Paul quotes about a dozen Old Testament texts to support that. He then builds his case upon the work of Genesis in Romans 4 as he's explaining where Abraham finds grace and how it is by faith and not through works of the law. Then you go to chapter 5 where, again, Paul grounding his argument on the building of chapter 4 explains that it is the graciousness of God as revealed in Christ to rescue those who do not deserve rescue. Right. Then demonstrating the problem with that because the unstoppable are now trying to corrupt that and say that we live by grace. There is therefore no point to any of the law, which Paul calls that folly, the mm -hmm. meganoita, may it never be. And then explaining how in light of that in Romans 7, that although you are trying to uphold the standards of righteousness, you are failing at every turn, and it is the grace of God that is encouraging you and upholding you. And then moving to Romans 8, where he again builds on the understanding of creation, where he celebrates the work of Christ because it is that completed work that rescues even you who has failed in the knowledge of Christ to uphold righteousness. Right. How's that for a good quick summary? Really good summary. But that is, in, that is entirely built upon an understanding of the Old Testament. Right. It, it's all intertextuality. Well, that's what we call it. In, so in, are we really going to make the argument that we don't have Leviticus in mind when Paul is writing Romans 1? Well, I think he's commenting on on the Tanakh every, in every avenue. I mean, how well, do you explain what, he's, what he says to Timothy, you know, in 2 Timothy 3.16? Remember what you were taught as a young child, the, the Holy Scriptures, you know, and then he goes on, all scriptures God breathe. I mean, all these things are profitable for us to learn. And yes. The echoes, and he, he tries to point this out. It's not as clear, but it does serve as an echo of those texts. It's not an echo. Right. It's a clear-cut exposition oh, in light sure. of Christ. It's for sure, yeah. So, yeah, it's commentary. Yeah, on this what... is a good line. It is impossible to explain away these texts. You, you can't ignore them. You can't just go, yeah. well, that's not what Paul really means. And I, I, I give Brueggemann credit here because you he's right. And how much of liberal scholarship has been devoted to trying to explain away these texts and say they don't really mean what you think they mean and they really mean this. And, I mean, I've actually sat in a Bible study where a guy tried to do this and got to argue with him for a couple of weeks. It was not pleasant. Oh, it's definitely not. And as I, as I dive deeper into theology and I'm learning – and reading and studying and I'm interacting with all of these liberal ideas I, I find myself in a sea of of isogesis it's just like when you a plain reading doesn't mean anything anymore and, and that's about what that's what's about to happen so yeah, you ready yep, yep. given these most frequently cited texts that we may designate as texts of rigor <laughs> how may we understand the bible given a cultural circumstance that is very different from that assumed by and reflected in these old traditions Again, there's that loaded language. Well, start with an awareness that the Bible does not speak with a single voice on any topic. Wow, man. That escalated quickly. Yeah. Right. Doesn't speak with a single... That, look, we've asked this question. How many messages in Scripture? Uh, I think there's only one. There's one. This right. is, always remember your math equation here. 66 books, 40-plus authors, 1,500 years, three languages, what, three continents, two continents... 
one message. One message. Because the Holy Spirit inspired work that is behind it all. This is an understanding of inspiration. Uh, go back way back in the Wayback Machine and pull out the uh, first episode we did on Bibliology. It, it goes through a lot of this and helps with that because you have to understand that Scripture, again, doesn't just have a local context. It has a global context. This is one of those um, – Excuse me. This is one of those tips I give for people reading their Old Testament. I don't know what I'm supposed to be getting out of all this stuff in Chronicles. Okay, I understand that. But realize that the 66 books are placed into a single story. So ask yourself, how does this story in 2 Chronicles get me from Genesis to Revelation? Or even more specifically, how does it get me from creation and fall to the nation, to the king, to the Messiah, to the consummation at the end. So you can you can even break these things down into little chunks. So you can then read this random section you can't understand in Second Chronicles, and you can read it in light of the history that has come before, the promises that will be fulfilled later, and how that has its fulfillment in the final kingdom. Right. And that will help you weed through, which is not a great description, but it will help you navigate the history in a way that makes sense. Because well, it puts it not just in its local context, but it puts it in the global context of Scripture as well. Right. And, and, and when, you're reading, when you're reading your New Testament, and you some of our Bibles, they have really good uh, visual cues to let you know that something is being referenced from, an, from another book. And so if you haven't read what we're calling the Old Testament, if you haven't read those scriptures and Paul comments on something, you might not realize that he's he's commenting on it and, and that it, there's something about that scripture that applies to the lives of those people. So I, I like study Bibles right. that mark out Old Testament quotes because right. it, it allows you to understand that there is a an ebb and flow of air quotes original thought because it's all inspired by God, but the, between the original thought of Paul and how it's built upon the prophets or the law or wherever he is pulling from because he's exegeting and explaining mm -hmm. in their context. Right, right. And, and that's why we're always talking about context is king. Mm -hmm. You have to be able to read a given piece of literature in the context that it was written and recognize that he's quoting from other sources and understand those sources. So you, you, you have to read the Bible in, in its context in totality. Mm -hmm. You can't just read one one epistle or one gospel and think that you've got the entire message. Agreed. Um, or you, you could have the entire message, but you might not understand everything. Yeah. Would you, would you have enough to be saved? I think so. Yes. Yeah. Would you have enough to be discipled, make disciples, and grow in your sanctification? Probably not. There's a reason why you have the whole yeah, counsel I, I, of God and why right. the command is to proclaim that whole counsel. Yeah. Yeah. Got it. So, uh, I lost my spot again. So there's not a single voice, inspired by God as it is. Got to love that little hat tip there to a doctrine he doesn't really believe in. All sorts of persons have a say in the complexity of Scripture, and we are under mandate to listen as best we can to all of its voices. So is God now schizophrenic? Well, I mean, I, I don't know what another conclusion you would draw from that. Yeah. So here we go. This is... We're, we, by the way, we're not even like a quarter of the way into this, so we're, we're not going to finish this. Mm -hmm. We're going to try to dive into a few of these. I encourage you to dig into this and find it yourself and, and do some work, but, it, but this is, some of this will be instructive. So, On the question of gender equity and inclusiveness, man, that language escalated real quick, Bang. didn't it? Yeah, dropped it right in there. Consider the following to be said alongside the most frequently cited texts. We may designate these texts as texts of welcome. 
So we've gone from texts of rigor, you know, the ones that make you think and are challenging to you, mm -hmm. to texts of welcome. They are the open and inviting, the positive and encouraging texts of the subject. <laughs> Caleb. So, there you go. <laughs> Thus, the Bible permits very different voices to speak that seem to contradict those texts cited above. Therefore, the prophetic poetry of Isaiah 56, 3-8 has been taken to be an exact refutation of the prohibition in Deuteronomy 23.1. Alright, this is where our point is going to be made crystal clear. You ready? Right, alright. I will read it as he quotes it. Okay. Do not let the foreigner join to the Lord say, The Lord will surely separate me from his people. And do not let the eunuch say, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord, to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant, sanctification, mm -hmm. I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. Thus says the Lord God, who gathers the outcasts of Israel, I will gather others to them besides those already, already gathered. <coughs> All right, here we go. I'm going to read his conclusion, and then we're going to walk through why it's stupid. Okay. <laughs> I don't know another way to say that. So. Right, right, right. This text issues a grand welcome to those who have been excluded, so that all are gathered in by this generous gathering God. The temple is for all peoples, not just the ones who have kept the purity codes. Beyond this text, we may notice other texts that are tilted toward the inclusion of all persons without asking about their qualifications or measuring up the costs that have been articulated by those in control. So let's, let's pause right here. What he's trying to do is set Deuteronomy 23, the exclusion of the eunuchs from, I would argue, not just temple service, but temple worship is as Israel. Okay. I might differ a little bit there. But and that's, I can understand the argument. So, yeah. and, But I, I don't think that's, that's not the need that we're picking here. Right. Even allowing for that level of exclusion, he's trying to set that exclusionary text of Deuteronomy 23 and set it in contradiction to the inclusion of eunuchs as the people of God in Isaiah 56. Okay, first things first. What's the context of Deuteronomy 23? Context of Deuteronomy 23 is speech of Moses given to Israel right. before they are entering into the promised land. Moses is not going to enter in. Um, I think Aaron's already dead. Yep. So the leadership is going to be handed over to the next generation and Moses is giving them the the final rundown of things. So what's he going to do in Deuteronomy? He's going to run through the Ten Commandments again. He's going to repeat most of the Levitical law. He is going to warn them of the consequences of disobedience. He is going to encourage them with the blessings of obedience as the people of God in the land of God. He's going to warn them of their future apostasy and what they should do in light of it. He's going to warn them of their future idolatry and what they should do in light of it. And he is, in, throughout all of this, encouraging them to remain faithful to the God who has rescued and redeemed them, who is going to sanctify them and disciple them. Okay. Okay. That's your context of Deuteronomy 23. <clears throat> in light of that context, it is vital that Israel know what are the exclusionary elements of sanctified living? They need to know what makes them in and what makes them out. Because keep in mind, we're still talking about a mixed multitude coming up out of Egypt. Mm -hmm. Yes, they've been wandering for 40 years. But also keep in mind that throughout the law, throughout Deuteronomy, throughout Exodus, even in Leviticus, there are all sorts of ways in which the nations are going to be brought into 
Israel. Right. The Gentile pagan nations are going to be brought in to the people of God. So, with that in mind, you need to know what makes you, you, and then them, and you need to know what the distinctions are so that your worship is proper, so that you can be the shining city on a hill that you are supposed to be as Israel. Okay. Any questions? Any no. disputations? No. Okay. That's on one side. On the other side, we have Isaiah 56. Mm -hmm. What's the context of Isaiah 56? Well, we're holding to a singular Isaiah. So there is no proto and deutero Isaiah. There is simply Isaiah. First 38 chapters of Isaiah, predominantly, notice what I'm, word I'm using here, predominantly a message of warning and judgment. Mm -hmm. Sprinkled into that, mix, to that message of warning and judgment are all sorts of promises of redemption and reconciliation. Think about your Christmas verses. Where do they all come from? They come from the judgment passages of Isaiah. Mm -hmm. It's Isaiah 7 and yeah. Isaiah 9 and Isaiah 11 also, if I'm not mistaken. Um, it's 9 and 11. 11? I, think it's, I think there's more in 11, but don't quote me on that. Okay. But definitely 7 and 9. Yeah. These are judgment passages, right? This is the judgment. This is the harsh, evil, mean Isaiah who's telling you you're going to hell because you're evil. Mm -hmm. Well, that's where our Christmas messages come from in the book of Isaiah. Sprinkled into those judgment messages are messages of hope and reconciliation. You then get that historical interlude of chapter 39 where Isaiah is describing what's going on. And then the second half of the book, 40 through 66, the end of the book, is a message of those sprinkled reconciliations and hope and salvations in the beginning are brought to full flower in the second half of the book. You have the suffering servant. You have the redeemed nation. You have the hope for the nations as they gather around because of the work of this Messiah. You have all of this hope exegeted and brought out in full focus from Isaiah. Now, that's vital to this understanding because Isaiah 56 and Deuteronomy 23 do not stand in opposition to each other. They stand in complement to one another. Right. Remember, in Scripture, we do not have an abrogated revelation. We have a progressive revelation. Yep. So, all right. I know I, I know. I broke out the big words. I'm a bad person, so hold on. No, I'm in agreement. Yeah, it's definitely Yeah, Lou's going to throw something at me when I say something dumb. You ready? Mm -hmm. Now, an abrogated revelation would be that something I said in chapter 1 could be undone by something I say in chapter 2. That's an abrogated revelation. So if I tell you, you're not allowed to climb trees. Climbing trees is evil. You climb trees, you go to hell. And then 20 minutes later, I tell you, hey, you see those those coconuts up there? Shimmy up that tree and get the coconut. But I'm going to hell if I climb the tree. No, 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 that was then. This is now. Going to hell then, feeding me now. Get your butt up the tree. Mm -hmm. That would be an abrogated revelation. Right. That which comes later overrides that which came earlier. That is not scripture. That might be the Quran, but that is not scripture. <laughs> I was just thinking that. Lou's like, get out of my head. Yeah. Yeah. What you have in your Bible is a progressive revelation. So you have to think of this like Paul's um, understanding in 1 Corinthians 13. Is it 13? Oh, don't quote me on that. Is it 14? Where you're seeing through a mirror darkly. Darkly, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's 1 Corinthians. Read 1 Corinthians. It will do you good. You don't see everything clearly now. Paul did not see everything perfectly clearly now because Paul was not standing at the end of history. Right. God is. Remember, God stands at the beginning and the ending of history. He is the Alpha and the Omega, that who is and was and is to come. So because of that, you have to read your Bible. And this is, again, why I tell you to when you're reading that Second Chronicles portion— understand where does it fit not just in its local context 
like in that chapter, but where does it fit in its regional context? Where does it fit in the in the local history there? You know, what prophets are going on at the same time as the as the chapter you're reading in Second Chronicles? What's going on historically around the world? There's your regional, but also what's going on in your global context? Where are you in the history of of salvation? Where are you in the story of redemption? How does this get me closer to the King who is to come, the Prophet who will explain God, the fulfillment of the kingdom? So. That's important to realize because what you're doing throughout your Bible from beginning to end is getting more pieces of that puzzle put together. So you're seeing the promise of the son of the woman who will crush the serpent and his offspring, which is sin. <clears throat> you are seeing the promise to the nations, which would be the crushing of that serpent, promised to Abraham, and it will come from a nation. You're seeing the the pictures of a providing deliverer in Joseph. You are seeing the prophet like Moses who speaks to God and knows him face to face who does the mighty deeds of God who shepherds the people of God these are all meant to show you that oh there's a there's someone coming who's got to do all this work because these little pieces of the work aren't enough mm-hmm. in and of themselves because the, the people doing them aren't enough in and of themselves mm-hmm. I mean even Moses' great work of deliverance isn't something he does by himself he needs Aaron to talk for him he can't do it so all of these things are meant to build you forward. That's what it looks like to have a progressive revelation. By the time right. you get to Isaiah, you should be going, okay, this makes sense because those people are excluded because Israel is trying to remain pure. And Israel's purity has to be done from the outside in because what do you see? You see the outside in. I can never trust that you... Well, man does. Well, yeah, you. That's what I'm talking about. You. Mm-hmm. Or that's that's who we're talking to. Who's, right. who's Moses talking to? He's talking to the people. Right. You would allow yourself to do that for service in a government? To forward your station? You would allow that? The destruction of who you are and your family line and things like that? No, no, no. That's, that's something that labels you slightly untrustworthy. That's something that labels you less than whole. Well, you don't stand in right. the assembly in the same way because you are a symbol of the brokenness of this world. Well, there's that and, you know, somebody's willingness to become a eunuch. And there, there's subjugation mm-hmm. where you don't have a choice and you're, you're made a eunuch and, so and that you can serve in the court, whatever. And sometimes life stinks. Yeah. And part of the point is, notice, though. Even when you get to your New Testament, the Ethiopian eunuch, mm-hmm. he's studying the scriptures. Right. He's following after God. Mm-hmm. Does that exclude you even in Deuteronomy from God? No. It excludes right. you from the earthly manifestation, but it does not exclude you from well, God. I, I think people who read things that way, looking for contradictions, they have an error in, in, in their logic from the start. Well, yeah. Uh, if there's a, a, an error with anything, it's with our exegesis of the and scripture. And that's my point, and that's what yeah. I'm trying to highlight here, because yeah. when you take that understanding from Deuteronomy, now you're realizing, okay, that Israel is trying to present a purity. It's, it's a teaching point. So when the pagans who make eunuchs to serve in the royal court, who make eunuchs to look after the women that the king gets to abuse, when the when the nations make eunuchs as punishment for war crimes, or because they com- they're committing a war crime because you got conquered, mm-hmm. They now come to Israel. You don't have these people. Mm-hmm. Not only do you not have these people, you don't allow them to serve in the highest levels of your government, right. which is what the temple is basically a part of. Mm-hmm. It's part of the government of Israel. Right. We all have this. Why don't you? See, this is, a, this is part of a shining light. Mm-hmm. This is what Israel is supposed to do. Now, fast forward to Isaiah. 
promising a restoration and a reconciliation in fulfillment of the promise to how many of the nations? All the nations. And right. what you're seeing is, in this redemption, what the world has destroyed, what the world has corrupted, what is broken in the things that you see, God is setting right in ways that you don't do not see. God is restoring in the spirit of that man mm -hmm. what the world has tried to destroy in the flesh. Right, for sure. Therefore, this is not a contradiction of Deuteronomy. This is a fulfillment of the promises that Deuteronomy is longing for. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Moses in Deuteronomy is urging Israel to remain faithful so that they will be the experiencers of the fulfillments of the prophet, of the fulfillments of the priesthood, of the fulfillments of the Passover, of the fulfillments of the son of the woman. They will stand as the inheritors of this work because that is what God has promised. Isaiah is looking at that and saying, yes, this is what the hope is. Notice the language that Isaiah even uses, that even though you have been broken in the world, you are keeping my Sabbaths. Mm -hmm. And you are seeking after my righteousness. You are longing to be want to tie themselves to the, the Lord. people of God, mm -hmm. even though in this world you do not see how you are part of that people of God. This is a work of the Spirit at work in these people. And Isaiah is saying, these are the people from the nations who will stream in, and they will then be made whole by God. That's what I said. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. Right. <clears throat> That's symbolic of now who they are, broken here, assembled in eternity. Nice. That's not contradiction. That's nice. fulfillment. To take that and to try to set it over and against the law and commands of God as a way to undermine the teaching of God so that some degenerate in 2022 can say, see, 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 what I'm doing is fine and God will accept me just the way I am. The revisionists is all it's, they are. That is the height of the unstoppability. <laughs> I'm expanding on these words now. That, but that's the height of it. That, and that's what Brueggemann is doing here. I'm going to lie about the context. I'm going to ignore the obvious progressive revelation of Scripture. And I'm going to present it in such a way so that that seared conscience over there now has an excuse to lie to themselves so that they can soothe their conscience. Right. <clears throat> Notice he didn't quote that part from Romans 1. Right, for sure. Where they're standing condemned because they know, and not just that, but here, hang on. Not just that, but the condemned are, are condoning these things and, and, and working with other people so that they'll do the same. God gave them over to a depraved mind to those things which are not proper, being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, malice, you know the list, mm -hmm. without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful, and although they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. Notice he didn't quote that. Yeah, notice he leaves that part <laughs> that, that out. That was a scathing yeah, rebuttal. That's the part he stops at because... Mm -hmm. And that's why you have to read it in context. That's the part that would make this entire article a farce and a scam. And that's why I said his exegesis is stupid. Yeah, these people have itching ears. They, they, Agreed. They want, they want to find people that will just tell them what they want to hear. So, all right, I'm pulling the plug on that article just simply because we, I, we could spend like another three weeks on this and all we would do is drive ourselves insane. Okay. I think the point is made. I right. hope the point is made. And I know other people are going to be making this point because Brueggemann is a big name. 
and he's kind of a big deal in, in circles because he's the best of the best on the left-hand side of the aisle. And so bringing him out would be like, um, it'd be like 20 years ago dragging uh, John Dominic Crossan out or, oh shoot, what was that? Or Marcus Borg. It's like it's like dragging those guys out and, and launching the cannons. Okay. And if you and if you followed any historical theology of the last half of the 20th century, you know those names and what I'm talking about. Um, dragging Brueggemann out is, is kind of like doing the same thing. The, 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 he's one of the big guns. So a lot of people will do some more critique of this and go through this more thoroughly. The point that I think I really want to get across is that took all of five seconds of me reading this to recognize what the problem was. Mm -hmm. And granted, it took a little longer, but what, about ten minutes to actually walk through it? Christian, this is the best they got. Mm -hmm. this, this is the best they got. This is the height of their argumentation. Do not be afraid, but stand firm in the faith, knowing the truth, being set free by the truth, because you are, and the weapons that you wield, the sword of the Spirit, that is the Word of God, is accomplishing the work and will accomplish the work. Because again, this is the best they got. Right. They. They've been trying to explain it away for 30 years, and they've come up with nothing. So now we're going to try to subtly twist it, see it for what it is, call it for what it is, and be prepared. This is what it looks like to be have, to give an answer for the hope that lies within you, is to understand some of the background. And look, you, <clears throat> excuse me, you don't need 27 PhDs in this. You don't need 30 years of study to have a general idea of what goes on in your Bible. This is why, again, I encourage people to read their Bibles and to read them with an eye towards context. Like that little rundown I was doing from Romans earlier. Mm -hmm. That wasn't on my notes in front of me. That's just a general understanding of the book of Romans. Right. Now, do, do I expect you to have that for every book of the Bible? No, I don't have that for every book of the Bible. But you should have a general idea when I ask you things like, hey, where do the Christmas readings come from in Isaiah? Mm -hmm. Hey, wait a minute. That's the first half, which is supposed to be all about the evil, mean judgment stuff. The promises of the prophets, the promise of the nation, the promises of the kings, the promise of the seed of the woman. These are things, knowing where they are in general, is helpful for you to keep these big contexts in mind. And that's why, again, I say, when you're reading Chronicles or you're reading Leviticus, what is this doing? How does this forward me on through the story of redemption? Mm -hmm. How does Jonah fit in? You know, These are the questions that you ask, and these will allow you to keep big picture ideas in mind, mm -hmm. which allows you to relatively quickly dismantle terrible teaching right and that's the goal christian so that when you hear this teaching you go wait a minute that doesn't make sense and, and, and here's why it doesn't make sense because as i'm reading this contextually here's what i'm seeing and, and bam just like that you've unraveled the gordian knot mm -hmm. and it's done and you know what they're going to be left with ah, bah, bah, mom, mom, mom. because this is the best they got right there's no there there because it's all smoke and mirrors and it's all built on a lie that's why you have to dust off your Bibles and read them, mm -hmm. and read them contextually, because if you don't, you're not wielding a sword. Yeah, the army you dragons. Have, yeah, you have no weapons to def to defeat these dragons that are are definitely out there prowling around. So read your Bibles. But the encouragement is, as you do that, yeah. with just a little bit of work, life makes sense. And seeing these errors is strengthening and hope-giving to the people of God. Yeah. You mentioned earlier having a good um, study Bible. And one of the things I like to do when I'm looking at a, a particular book 
as I like to read the introductions. I like to get myself familiar with maybe some of the themes mm-hmm. of the book. It's good and, for you. And yeah, and then just and then with that in mind, and and thematically, and how does it tie into what's going on in in the apostolic scriptures and salvation and and all of this stuff? Just read the book with that in mind. Start with an introduction. Try to understand some of the themes of the Bible and see what other people are saying, how it connects, and then see if you can see that when you read it contextually. Yeah. Case in point, when we went through the book of James yeah. on Sunday mornings, mm-hmm. how many times did I mention that this is the James who is going to die for the faith, who's writing to a church that is suffering and dying for the faith, undergoing persecution? Because that colors everything you read in his right. book. Right, right. How many times in Job did we point out as we went through Job on a Sunday morning that, hey, remember, Job's righteous. Why? How? That matters to understanding who he is, Mm -hmm. what's gone wrong, and why it hasn't gone completely off the rails. Understanding some of your history is helpful. When we're doing acts on Wednesday nights with this group, how many times are we going back in history to show where we are, what's going on, things around? These things are helpful. Are they completely necessary all the time? No, but they're very, very, very helpful. Well, one of the things that I've noticed in, in my studies of the scripture is there's an incredible amount of distance and time from what happened, what was written, to now. Mm-hmm. And the distance comes from, oh, this has been written to a people that are on the other side of the planet, mm-hmm. pretty much from us. And they have a different culture, different ideas, and their culture has changed over the centuries. And so now it, you got to try to find out what what did the author mean? What was he trying to convey? What were the situations and circumstances? In, which... in other words, you don't do it like he's doing it in this article. Right, you, you right, do what exactly. We did. What's the context of Deuteronomy? Right. What's the culture? What's the context of Isaiah? Who's he writing to and what's he seeking well, we to accomplish? We just need to stop being lazy Christians <laughs> and, and, and saying, well, I don't have time to become a scholar. Wait nobody's, a minute. Nobody's asking you nobody's to. Nobody's asking you to be a scholar, but take the time to understand the book that you're reading. In other words, read your Bible. Yep. It'll do you good. Right. So what else have we learned here today, children? The world just can't stop itself. That's for sure. <sighs> Scripture has a consistent meaning, amazingly enough. Mm-hmm. And we must be careful in how we handle the word. Because if you're not, once again, there be dragons. And we don't want to get eaten alive by them. For sure. So, <sighs> be encouraged. This is the best they got. And it's not really that much. So, Christian, you know what to do. Read your Bible. It'll do you good. Bye. Bye.